0: in these dirty waveforms of broadband where underrated stuff is the game okay and mason picks stuff that makes me want to scream his name hey there's been a load of it's on the list with movies and songs in the shining on me like a rhinestone podcast oh boy coming out to looky violin biscuit during a live show hey Bow, pow, like a rhinestone podcast hey all right getting emails and DMs from people i don't even know and mason's don't give
1: the password that's it <laughs> still have it nope <laughs> that's it that was a no- that was really good I really like that I love Glenn Campbell thank you for reminding me to listen to Glenn Campbell sometime the
0: uh yeah he's pretty good <laughs> I like that song I like uh <laughs> okay. Southern Nights don't really know a lot else about Glenn Campbell yeah. but there's a doc I've done about him I think like five or six years ago have you ever seen that
1: yes uh, I have not seen that documentary because I think that it is about his, um, later life when he wa- had, uh, Alzheimer's oh. and kind of, I think it's his last, it's like, it's like farewell performance, uh, right before he, you know, went to deal with that stuff. Sure, Sounds like a bummer or at least a tough watch. And I don't know if I'm up for that. I will say though, that, uh, my favorite piece of Glenn Campbell, um, media is there's like a... A sort of like round table performance with him and a bunch of other guitarists Oh shit! and he they play gentle on my mind and he just has like this incredible uh at least to my ears uh solo in it that just kind of it, it, it makes me wish that they played that in school every morning instead of the national anthem or We have to say the pledge of <laughs> or so whatever. so you so. would you would stand up put your hand over your heart and play that
0: or let's sing that.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Damn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's. I'll put it in the notes for the show. Actually, I think that, that would be
0: fun that, for people to watch. Let's get
1: a change.org petition going to change. <laughs> <laughs> but what was the name of the song? Gentle on my mind. Gentle on my mind. Gentle on my mind. Yeah. yeah.
0: Let's get that in fucking schools instead of the fucking Pledge of Allegiance. I didn't. I kind of like saying the Pledge of Allegiance at the top of the morning when I was in like first grade. To be honest with you, I didn't think about it at all. I was just like, "No, I
1: liked it." This is kind of fun. No, you don't. It's just like this is how your day starts, and then the older you get, you kind of just become like you start to get like kind of jaded towards the practice. Like by the time I got into high school, the teachers were just like who gives a shit do whatever you want but on 9-11 definitely say the pledge of allegiance every other day who gives a shit but on 9-11 you must you, not you must say but 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 uh i felt like by that time like i just kind of grew out of it and then you grow up and you realize wait that was extraordinarily fucked up yeah like i can't believe they made us do that it's
0: like <laughs> yeah it's fucked.
1: fucking weird wait
0: what how late in the school did weird. you like have to do that for
1: uh last time I, I, I uh, truthfully the last time that I remember saying the pledge of allegiance was on uh nine eleven, two 2001 because it was the 10th anniversary and then the like one of the teachers got on the intercom and had this like Do you think do you think that this, like kind of,
0: 2001 is the 10th year anniversary Wait of 9/11. 2011 11 <laughs> 2011 okay.
1: 2011 9-11-2011. That was the last time I can remember seeing the Pledge of Allegiance because the, te- the the teacher that gave like the nine eleven remembrance speech kind of guilted us into doing it. and I'm just kind of like, well, fuck, man. After all of that, I guess I'll say the Pledge of fucking Allegiance, <laughs> and then I can't remember a single time. So nine eleven two thousand eleven. How old were you? Was, was the last that? time I can 16
0: remember sixteen or
1: seventeen? I would have been. Yeah, oh, seven, Mason,
0: almost no an girl. adult, can opt out of saying the Pledge of Allegiance. Yeah, on the big time. Anniversary,
1: <laughs> big which
0: time. you originally thought the 10 year anniversary of 9 11 was on 9 <laughs> 11, which is a pretty cool fun fact about you, man. Yeah, it was like so kind of a. Fun.
1: It was an inversion. It was kind of like the 10th anniversary of 9 11 was yeah. happening at the same time as the actual 9 11. It was. You, <laughs> it's my tenant sequel I'm working on. <laughs>
0: You, you stood up on 9-11 and you were like, I can't believe it's been 10 years since the planes flew into the towers and the, the planes were fucking flying into the towers. I was stricken. Like, I, I was stricken
1: by a premonition of remembering 10, 10
0: years. 9-11. <laughs> 10 years. can't believe it's been 10 fucking years. (laughs) Oh, God. The plane is just going into the tower.
1: What the fuck, dude? (laughs) Spike Lee's 25th hour. More like, I don't have anything after that. I just thought of Spike Lee's 25th hour. That's the other thing that I think of when I think of 9-11 is Spike Lee's 25th hour. That In the actual event that's, of 9-11. That's the
0: other thing you'd think of when you think of <laughs> 9-11? Is it,
1: yeah, it, like, it ranked, ranked it goes 9-11, and then Spike Lee's 25th hour.
0: A you movie I've never seen, by fuck, the way. Dude. Well, maybe we should bring it on the show, it's actually very good. Uh, yeah, uh, maybe, Mason. Maybe. Yes, hello, hello. Whew. Uh, got, got something to say to you and the viewers Or listeners Ooh. rather Are you ready? Oh yeah, you teased this
1: I don't know what this is You teased this, what's up?
0: Get on your horse Learn how to ride a horse If you don't know how to ride a horse Because you and I, Mason We're going west this episode, baby eha. haw Yee- train tracks we'll save them mason should pull over with me and save them and ask them if they know when 9-11 was oh when do you think 9-11 was miss you think you think 9-11 was you think 9-11 was 1991 well i got a guy for you meet for you to meet right now who also happens to think that
1: that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh we are going God. west this episode. We are going west this real. episode. That is yeah, yeah, for real. No, for real. We did it. <laughs> before this became the, un- <laughs> the, the official podcast of nine um, eleven. Noah <laughs> the and I, official ten year anniversary podcast, free podcast of nine eleven. Uh, this is a time the list with Noah and Mason. By the way, I am the funny talking dog, Stinky Joe Biden himself. Mason McGuire joined us always by the funny talking baby, former President Donald Trump. Noah Marger. <laughs> Donald Trump's got a great ass, and I'm not
0: afraid to say it. I'm not afraid to say there it There you on go, brother.
1: Either. There you go, brother. No. Got a big speak ass. Speak it. Speak
0: it. Speaking of, spe- speaking of having a big ass, Mason, I uh, yeah. think today is actually, today is a little bit sad for you, I think, because Ooh. they just announced that Lola Bunny is going to be redrawn in
1: the Space Jam sequel. <laughs> Here's what I have to say about this. And this is my, this is my thing that I have um, been, I was very proud of uh, when I said this earlier today, and I just, I, I, in a text message, and I just have to share it. <clears throat> Please. Um, sorry, I have to scroll up. <clears throat> oh, great. The hot cartoon bunny can beat me up now, and this is supposed to make her less attractive. Yes, dude. Yes, dude. Yes. Absolutely. Be fucking
0: upfront about that. Yes. Speak your fucking truth. I will say. I was very attracted to Lola Bunny in the original, so maybe it's <laughs> yeah. more of a sad day for me than anything. <laughs> and I just wanted you. I just wanted you. It to is think, really. It, it, a sad is, day.
1: it is really uh, kind of astonishing when you watch Space Jam as an adult, which you are wont to do because it is uh, an American. It's great. T- yeah, it's a great movie. Um, just how normal the rest of the Looney Tunes are, and then they give you one new character, and it's the hottest cartoon. Of all time basically like that's the introduction they give her they're like kids 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 fear not fear not we have a bodacious bod in this movie and it's a fucking cartoon bunny Dude, I don't... but that's the thing is that like eight years earlier
0: we get who framed roger rabbit and i'm this is more true. interested in jessica rabbit
1: you're more of a jessica rabbit guy okay I am, and I so feel like you would like <laughs> you would like scroll back and forth <laughs> on those YouTube <laughs> videos that were like you know that were like Zapruder filming the like two frames where you can kind of see up Jessica's skirt in that movie. You were just like scrolling back and forth on that when you were a kid.
0: I remember when I watched the movie, maybe not the first time, but when I was younger, and my dad had to leave the room for whatever reason. He He's like, "Sorry, we got to pause it. I'll be right back. I got to like take a call or something." <laughs> I like would rewind so that I could watch the Jessica Rabbit like intro where she comes out on the stage and says "Why don't you do" or sings "Why don't you do right." So, yeah, you could say I was a bit of a fan of Jessica Rabbit back in the day.
1: We are going to get arrested for this podcast episode. I feel I feel like this one is that's fine. Be, yeah, that's okay. What a way to go out. It's too it's too bad that this 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 talk couldn't wait until episode sixty nine, but. We got it. a
0: lot, we got a lot We got a lot more to talk about on episode sixty nine, brother, if you catch my drift.
1: Uh definitely, definitely. We'll 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 see what happens then. Um uh, but this week, folks, you have no idea. We have no idea what I'm so talking far, about. We've gotten so far. I don't even so know what away. I'm
0: fucking talking about.
1: We're going west, folks. We're going west this episode. It's on the list ghost west. This week we have three western themed. Kind of happened by accident, we didn't plan to go west this week. It wasn't like with Chris Chalakian, where we planned to go to Rio first thing in the pandemic. You know, it was like they said that it, it would just be two weeks, and then after that two weeks, we all celebrated by going to Rio. Everyone was there, we all bought right. tickets. Uh, this is a sort of more like all an socially impromptu distanced, trip. obviously, exactly, we like exactly. tested, yeah,
0: only like 85, 100,000 of our closest friends went so right. I was in a full hazmat actually. suit
1: the entire time, it was, it was like you know. Weird, but that's what it was. Uh, No, this is more of an impromptu trip. This is a trip you take when you're, like, looking at Amtrak prices and you see how cheap it is to go to, like, for example, Royal Oak, Michigan from Chicago. Just looking at it for fun. And you're like, man, I could plan a weekend in Royal Oak, Michigan if I really wanted to. Not that I would want to, but just, like, you know, I could if I wanted to. This is sort of, like, the the, the nature of this trip. (laughs) How expensive is it to go to Royal Oak, Michigan? It's like $34 on on coach. It's thirty four dollars on Coach. That's so reasonable. It's pretty good. You get to ride a train. It is reasonable. You're in another state. You love trains. I really do like trains. It's it's a it's such a treat to ride uh, the train. I didn't do it a lot in Los Angeles. I did it a lot my last year and a half ish there, but. No, I'm a train boy. That's why I love the city of Chicago so much. I love taking the train.
0: Well, who gives a fuck about that? Because we got three
1: things to talk about today, yes, Mason. this is a triple stack episode. Again, another one. Another one right in a row.
0: Another one. Uh, Mason, you picked the short. This is the first time you've ever brought a short uh, onto the show. You brought the short and the film. I brought the album. Why don't you tell the good folks at home, Mason, a little bit about your short?
1: The short this week, folks. I was getting a little tired of noy hogging all the, the the short action here. I wanted to bring a short film on the show for a change, and I thought, what a better thing to bring on than thing than a uh, a silent film, which we've never covered before, to my knowledge, uh, and not just any old silent film. I thought, let's go a little, mm, a little, a little kind of outside of, I think people's familiarity with the idea of silent film comedies let's go to harold lloyd who was i believe in the the era's like kind of biggest star um so i think i could be wrong on that one but that was always the thing that i remember hearing growing up uh was even though chaplin and keaton have kind of endured as the sort of benchmarks of that era of filmmaking or just like at least the the silent comedies um Harold Lloyd was a guy that put buttons butts in seats. And at least when I was growing up, uh the film today is his short an Eastern Westerner made in nineteen twenty, a two-reel comedy. Uh Snap, 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 snap in the snap, Chat. Snap, snap, but snap, 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 snap. it wasn't until college that I had seen a Harold Lloyd movie, and I mostly wanted to bring this on because I was curious about Noe's history with silent films. So, Chef Tell me about it,
0: more like you were t- hog tied of Noah because that week is earlier you said you were tired of Noah hogging all the shorts, so you were hog tied actually, you were hog tied of it. Uh, you were t- you were tired of Noah Hog tying the shorts, is what I'm fucking trying to say. There we go. You got it. You got it. You got it. Um, yeah. Eventually, you get there after you spit and stutter your fucking way through a podcast for sixty fucking episodes. Uh, so my so my history my history. Uh, this is the oldest thing we've covered on the show thus far.
1: Yeah.
0: This came out in 1920, uh, and my sort of history with. Harold Lloyd is not really that much, I guess. Uh, I've seen Safety Last, which is the thing I think he's most well known for. Even if you yeah. don't know who Harold Lloyd is, you've probably seen the photo of a bespeckled man uh, like hanging from a clock, like a clock face, yeah, just over out a over city. like yeah. oncoming traffic. Yeah. So that I've seen that because I was like, well, that's one of the most enduring images in cinema history. So you just sort of have to you have to see that. Uh, and then when I was at film school you took a class this was either it was either film aesthetics or f- film history part 1 film aesthetics was a class where you go and you like watch movies that really exemplify certain like aesthetic areas of movies like editing and you know cinematography and sound design and stuff like that you watch like specific movies like 4 those purposes to talk about sure. those mm-hmm. values or those aspects of filmmaking but then obviously film history part one in at least at Chapman University's Dodge College of Film and Media Arts more like Media Farts that's hilarious <laughs> put that on my fucking tombstone and also a bench to commemorate my life after I pass away more like Dodge College of Media Farts haha very funny and then I get the Oscar and I go up on stage and they throw roses at my feet and I'm like oh my god you guys this is just like that Drake lyric the Prince Hakim throw flowers at my feet.
1: Yeah, so cool. yeah, yeah, woo,
0: yeah. 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 and everyone's and everyone's booing me actually because I because I attempt to punch Billy Crystal's hologram who's doing the show because I made the funniest joke of all time by saying Dodge College of Film and Media fights everyone's baby. Boo! Get off the stage, you fucking asshole. And I'm like, actually it is cool and fair of me to do that. It is actually cool and fair of me to do that. Hell yeah. So that's actually fucking cool. That's actually smart that I did that. But uh, we watched Bumping Into Broadway, I believe, in Mm. Film History Part (laughs) 1. Can't exactly remember why we watched it, but it was in conjunction with maybe Charlie Chaplin's The Kid I believe, because we did watch that in Film History Part 1 as well. So maybe it was like the short, because bumping into Broadway is around 25-ish minutes. The kid is not actually much longer, I think, coming in like under an hour or maybe just over an hour. Mm -hmm. Super short. Um, And so I watched that there, and I got to be honest, neither really left that much of an impression on me. So in my prep for this, I was like, maybe this is the Harold Lloyd short that sort of turns me around on Harold Lloyd. I don't really to be honest and maybe this is sacrilegious to say, I don't really care that much about like silent comedy like in this way. Uh, I did do a paper on silent comedy and how uh, sound changed comedy in the film history part 1 mm-hmm. and I watched The Gold Rush for that. I think that was like my main movie that I used because it was like mainly physical gags and stuff and music or whatever. But I don't really care that much, I guess, about silent comedy to be honest with you. I'm relatively indifferent to it although I do have a respect Uh, For what it did and obviously there are some amazingly skilled performers who came out of that era. But I was like, maybe this is the one that turns me into a Harold Lloyd Stan. But I will get to the the thrilling conclusion of that (laughs) sentiment after you, Mason, tell us. What's your little history with... Uh, silent film, and why'd you pick this specifically?
1: So, my parents and uh, my other family were very into older comedies. I feel like I've said this on the show a lot, and Charlie Chaplin was a huge one for my dad, and Buster Keaton was too, so I feel like, you know, when they realized that I was really getting into movies, they had this sort of history still like they were familiar with like the buster keaton and the charlie chaplin movies either because they were on tv a lot or something where they were like willing to share it with uh my sister or i um or you know just just with me or whatever um so i watch at least like man i feel like city lights is one of the very first movies that my parents got like from the library on dvd like specifically and i was like probably like nine or ten Uh, and then like, you know, you go through your kind of, you know, your, your film history classes and stuff like that. You start to watch more silent films or you start to actually, I think like take in the same ones, at least in my case, I took in the same ones over and over again. And it wasn't a flex,
0: but no big deal. That's a subtle flex. No big deal. (laughs)
1: Uh, (laughs) I, you know, you watch like the Sherlock jr. Um, the Buster Keaton short Sherlock jr. Uh, which is something of a short comedy masterpiece. Like, I think we watched that at the Chicago Film, uh, at the Symphony Center, and, like, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra played, this like, a score underneath it. That was a lot of fun. Um, And then, you know, you watched The General. I think we watched that my senior year of high school. uh, Buster Keaton movie there. But all to get to the point that Harold Lloyd, even though I was familiar with the Safety Last Hanging thing. Never, for whatever reason, either got his movies from the library or thought to sit down and watch them until I was like going to Los Angeles or just before my senior year of of college. And once I watched The Freshman, I feel, The Freshman, that kind of unlocked like a a fascination and appreciation for him. And I just kind of like, I went through like his kind of big movies. Like I watched Girl Shy around that time. I watched Safety Last around that time. I think I watched Speedy too. Stuff that was getting put out by Criterion too. So it was also just like kind of on my radar for that. Sure. Um, And this one, I had chosen this one initially because it was one I thought I had never seen before. Oh. But on Letterboxd, I'd actually watched it in July of 2019 or June of 2019. Uh, oh, you played yourself, uh, played Mason.
0: Congratulations.
1: But, and had I had known that, I wouldn't have chosen this one if I had known I was going to do one that I had chosen before. I, Harold Lloyd that I chosen prior, I probably would have just chosen another movie or something that I had actually already s- not seen. So I chose the East, an Eastern Westerner because I thought it would be new to me. Uh, but it wasn't. Uh, all <laughs> but it th- wasn't, guys. All so to get to the point that... To the all to get to the point show. that uh, um, I really silent movies aren't the first thing that I seek out when I want to, like, watch something, generally speaking. But every time that I, like, kind of put a little bit of time aside to watch, like, a Harold Lloyd movie or something from this era, I always find it immensely rewarding. And this time was really no different. Mostly because I'm just curious to see, like, a product that was made under, like, certain unbreakable limitations. You know, like, I feel like nowadays... You have cameras on your phones, basically, and microphones on right. your phones. And you have to kind of make a choice to either shoot something without sound or, like, with these other sort of, um, you know, the five obstructions or whatever, you know, that kind of shit. Um, but I like watching stuff from this period because it's, like... Also, this is a movie from 1920, which is eight years before the jazz singer, I believe, which revolutionized sound in film. And you're just kind of like, they had no idea what sound was going to do to this industry and you're just kind of watching this like kind of pure product and what's also interesting about this one is it's kind of a western parody and i'm not i'm way less familiar with the western genre as a whole which kind of inspired why i wanted to do a kind of western double feature this episode and um i always find a for me personally a good way for me to start to understand something is through a parody of that thing you know Sure. Um, and so I'm watching this as like, okay, so if I'm watching this as an audience member in 1920, I think I'm kind of tickled. Cause maybe I like Harold Lloyd a little bit and you know, maybe some of the stuff seems recognizable and it's mostly just like, I guess all to say, uh, I appreciate this movie as a historical, a kind of, kind of artifact, maybe primarily. Um, but I still think it's like a hoot. Like I was laughing during the whole thing. Um, I had a fun time watching it. And that will be my 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 take, my review for right your now. Your little summation.
0: Of little your, summation. Of your, yeah, Harold it's this Lloyd.
1: this long uh, rambling, not tangent about the history of film and this kind of other stuff, and it just ends with it's fun. I liked it.
0: Well, here's here, here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll say. I agree with you on the point that watching something from that long ago, because it was in a, it was this movie literally came out as of this recording a hundred and one years ago. Yeah, it came out in 1920. It is just like purely from a thought point of view, kind of amazing to think about watching something from a hundred plus years ago that is still yeah. preserved and still a thing and to be like, people sat in theaters and watched this and this was the whole thing. This is what people mm-hmm. went to see more or less because that's what it was available to them. So from that archeological perspective, it's amazing. It is amazing that in the short time that film had been a medium, you know, dating back to yeah. whatever you want to say that film started, whether it was you know the Milliers, or not Milliers, but um, who are the guys, the, the Lumiere brothers in, the, oh, yeah, in yeah, France yeah. or whatever, you <clears throat> um, ever you want to say you know started film or whatever. I'm not gonna have that conversation mostly because it's, I don't it's so know unimportant. We're talking about I'm like talking a, about. a yeah,
1: this is like a Hollywood movie too. Like I'm pretty sure that this must have been shot in Los Angeles, and it's also interesting to see. Like, uh, Los Angeles is a a western, like, kind of desert town, but that's, you know, that's another small thing, but I I, I understand what you're saying, that it's like, yeah, 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 keep going, keep going. (laughs) Well, I
0: was just, I was just basically saying that, like, the, the thought of sitting in a theater in 1920, when this comes out, and to be like, I'm going to see the next Harold Lloyd movie, because he already was. A star at this point. He had put out a bunch of other movies. You know, he was a recognizable face. He had been putting out shorts for, you know, like a couple years prior to this and is like, damn, here's the next Harold Lloyd joint, more or less. And we're going to go see this movie now and see what's up, you know, however that was presented at the time. And just to think about like that, how far film has come in the hundred years since then how not far it's come how infantile the whole medium is sort of just as a whole and then just to think about where film started that's why i brought up the lumiere brothers it was literally guys photographing people leaving a factory or leaving work or getting on a fucking train and the train yeah. kills people and that was actually the first instance of 9-11 ever happening it was the train coming out <laughs> the of the first instance of 9-11 people. caught
1: on film was the the train station <laughs> whatever it's fucking called <laughs>
0: A train arriving at the station or whatever, and people are like, "This is yeah, the yeah, ten-year yeah. anniversary of that <laughs> happening right now." So, so there's that. Um, but Mason, I will just say, not my thing. Not your. Didn't not your really. Frequency. Not really my frequency, and it's not really a. It's not really anything that has to do with the movie specifically. I do think there are some fun gags in this movie, like little yeah. instances of fun gags. I think. The mirror gag at the end of the movie is really fun, where he's like hiding behind the thing, and there's a mirror, and the guy can see him via the mirror reflection, but he doesn't know. Yeah, that's yeah. just good filmmaking. That's funny. Uh, I like everyone pointing a gun at him when he comes back into the room, just like forty <laughs> yeah. guns all pointing at him at the very end. And I like him jumping through the window, thinking he's gonna land on the horse, and then you know, up. Oh, guess what? He landed on the ground. That's funny. Those are there's some funny stuff that happens in this movie. Was I laughing out loud? No, but I was like, yep, I can see it happening. That's enjoyable at the least. There was some nice set design. The saloon that they're in for parts of the movie is like very well maintained and very well art directed. But at the end of the day, I just don't really Not care too. about it. Like ultimately, that's kind of where I'm at with it. So uh, I don't really have a lot more to say about it other than it's a Harold Lloyd Western. And if you like Harold Lloyd and you haven't seen this, you'll like this movie. Yeah. And if you don't like Harold Lloyd, or you've never seen a Harold Lloyd, don't start with this. I, start with yeah. Safety
1: Last. Yeah, start with start with the, the big hitter, Safety Last. I my entryway was also the freshman. I kind of think maybe watching a movie that's like that, that you don't have the burden of like this sort of uh this iconic image, you know, you're kind of waiting for that to show up. When it does show up, it's really incredible. And not to like discredit the movie by any means, it's still incredible i really like the freshman uh as a starting point though because you can kind of like get a sense of his like kind of comic personality um before his character his version his of character the tram, yeah right. he's a yeah right exactly and his his character is just like it's literally just like a guy with glasses that's kind of a kind of a boob you know like that's his whole yeah his whole. Thing. he's
0: a little dorky he presumably maybe comes from a wealthy background because of how he dresses yeah. and how he's, you know, sort of presented nice hair, nicer hair, I guess, for the time. Um, yeah, I've never seen The Freshman, but, you know, I would say if you haven't seen it, like I said, if you haven't seen a Harold Lloyd, don't start here. And if you have seen a Harold Lloyd and you like him, check it out. Or if you just like silent film from, you know, that era and you haven't seen this one you'll probably it's fine. It's 27 minutes long. I just am super indifferent about it. Ultimately at the end of the day,
1: I wouldn't say like make this your whole night, but it was nice to have this to start. Um, especially considering what, uh, the, the B pick or the, a picture was, (laughs) uh, (laughs) we have an album to talk about in between. I'd kind of echo that in terms of like, just would I recommend this? Um, no, it wouldn't be my place to start either. Um, I kind of think that there's just like I like a a a, a film uh, Or anything really With a cast of colorful characters And you have that in this movie Like everyone Like all the characters in the um, Little saloon town Are really really cool Are really like kind of distinct And interesting um, The KKK shows up as bad guys Which is also cool Harold Lloyd gets to uh, Be an Antifa super soldier and, and take down the Grand wizard of the KKK In this little small town um, yeah, that's cool. It's cool. I like that. Uh, yeah, I think I would still like kind of nudge somebody towards r- watching it, even if they were unfamiliar with with silent comedies. I- I'm just kind of charmed by the thing. That's it. Yeah, I think it's that's it. That's it. Yeah. Put it on before you watch I something actually, else. You won't be disappointed.
0: I actually have more fast facts than you might think because I looked yeah. into a little bit about Harold Lloyd, just sort of as a dude. More so than the actual film, because there's not a ton of info about the movie, like, just alone. So I have some actually kind of interesting fast facts about Harold Lloyd. I found more than I thought. Are you ready to hear these bad boys?
1: I am. I love... I am very interested.
0: Thanks. So are the listeners. I know that fast (laughs) facts are everybody's favorite part of the fucking episode! An Eastern Westerner is a 1920 American short comedy film featuring Harold Lloyd. A copy of the film exists. That is all
1: it says. (laughs) I'm glad you brought that up because I saw that when I was reading the Wikipedia today too and I'm like, this just tells you so much. (laughs) This is like the... This is the new for sale baby shoes never worn. A copy of this film exists.
0: (laughs) It's just like, yep, who gives a shit? And I'm kind (laughs) of right there with you. Uh, Shortly before this was made, Harold Lloyd was involved in an accident where a seemingly prop bomb exploded as he held it in his hand. I'm glad you brought this up too. Lloyd lost his thumb and index finger on his right hand in the explosion. The Goldwyn family had a flesh-colored prosthetic glove made for him so that he could continue his movie work. In many scenes in this movie, you will note that Lloyd's right hand is deliberately not being used, something I did not notice at all during the movie to be totally honest with
1: you. Yeah, if you know to I will if you know to look for it, it's pretty it's not apparent, but if you don't know to look for it, then you don't notice it, which is like that's pretty impressive for the time. Uh, and I bet an awful lot of money went into getting that thing made.
0: Yeah, 100 percent It was probably all the money the Goldwyn family had in that. Because this is the Western episode, I'm gonna do a tunk in the In between in between every fast fact. Next fact, hunt, tunk. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, there we go. Lloyd is considered alongside Chaplin and Keaton as one of the most influential film comedians of the silent era. Lloyd made nearly 200 comedy films, both silence, silent films and talkies, between 1914 and 1947. His bespectacled glasses character was a resourceful, success seeking go getter who matched the zeitgeist of the 1920s United States. Uh, new quote, new facts, hot, uh, Lloyd worked with Thomas Edison's Motion Picture Company and his first role was as part of a, I believe it's Yaqui Indian in the uh, production of The Old Monk's Tale. At the age of 20, Lloyd moved to LA and took up several roles in the Keystone Film Comedy com- uh, Company Comedies. He was also hired by Universal as an extra and soon became friends with the one and only Hal Roach, who hey. directed not only this movie but most of Harold Lloyd's you know, big movies, yeah. uh, and they began collaborating, forming his own their own studio. Roach and Lloyd created Lonesome Luke, similar uh, to and playing off the success of the Charlie Chaplin films. That's the character who sort of is in all of his big hits. Uh, this one is very crazy that this is a fact, and I learned this, and I didn't even know if I should include it because it's kind of crazy, but hot, tunk, here we go. Uh, Lloyd studied uh-huh. colors and microscopy and was very involved with photography, including 3D photography and color film experiments. Some of the earliest two-color Technicolor tests were shot at his Beverly Hills home, which are included as extra material in Harold Lloyd Comedy Collection DVD box set. All right. He became... Now, oh, don't say that quite yet, because he became known for his nude photographs of models. Such no, thank as you. All Betty, right. <laughs> so much as Betty Page and stripper Dixie Evans for a number of men's magazines. He also took photos of Marilyn Monroe lounging at his pool in a bathing suit, which were published after his death. In 2004, his granddaughter Suzanne produced a book of selections from his photographs called Harold Lloyd's Hollywood Nudes in Three D what do you think about that my friend Mason
1: I kind of want to see that book
0: that's interesting yeah you fucking do you absolute disgusting fucking pervert I knew you wanted to see that book
1: Uh, alright it's probably probably an interesting historical artifact it's probably an interesting historical artifact I do like that he was like um, I have created this new technology and the first thing I'm going to do is use it to get off Uh, kudos to him salute
0: Didn't know you liked jacking it to historical stuff, Mace. Very cool. Hunt tunk, Lloyd got the copyright control of most of his films and re-released them infrequently after his retirement. I think this is actually part of the reason why he's not... Like, it's not a pantheon of silent film greats, and it's mainly Cap, Chaplin and Keaton who are talked about, because Lloyd did not grant cinematic re-releases because most theaters could not accommodate an organist to play music for his films, and Lloyd did not wish for his work to be accompanied by a pianist, and he says, quote, I just don't like pictures played with pianos. We never intended them to be played Mm. with pianos, end quote. Similarly, his features were never shown on television as Lloyd's price was very high. Quote... I want three hundred thousand per picture for two showings. That's Good a high Lord. price, but if I don't get it, I'm not going to show it. They've come to close it, but they won't. They haven't come all the way up. So, a little bit of a uh, shrewd businessman, I guess, uh, if you want to call it that. But I have a feeling that's why he was not uh, thought of in like a trifecta way with Chaplin and Keaton, because
2: mm, I'm sure yeah. they
0: reran Chaplin and Keaton yeah. a lot. You know, after yeah, you yeah, know their shorts right, had right. gone through the mill, so yeah, uh, right. there's that huck tink tink into the spittoon. Two more facts: in 1925, okay. at the height of his movie career, Lloyd entered into Freemasonry. So shout out to you; your name's getting dropped a little bit in there. Mason is in Freemasonry the uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alexander Hamilton Lodge number five three five of Hollywood, advancing quickly through both the York Right and Scottish Right, and then joined. I think I'm going to mess this up big time. I believe it is Al. Mal- Malachi- malachia shrine in los angeles not 100 percent sure on that one <laughs> he took the degrees of the royal arch with his father in 1926 he became a 32 degree scottish Rite mason in the valley of los angeles california mm-hmm. he was vested with the rank and decoration of knight commander court of honor and eventually with the inspector general honorary 33rd degree you as a famous other face in freemason <laughs> what the fuck does that mean dude i don't know what the fuck that means
1: well, um okay. I am sworn to secrecy on this, but I'll I will tell you. I will tell you uh, what it means. Um, is that dude's rock?
0: Hunt <laughs> Tunk last <laughs> night. Fuck you, <laughs> <laughs> Lloyd's Beverly Hill home, Green Acres, was built from 1926 to 1929 with 44 rooms. 26 bathrooms, 12 fountains, 12 gardens. That's a little bit too
1: and much. A, that is, that and is a, and pay me three, three, what is it? $300,000 for my movie on, for, for, for yeah. to play on TV? That, yeah, that is, that is some pay me $300,000 to pay my movie on TV ass behavior. Like, that is annoying. <laughs> and a nine hole golf course. Like, literally. What, his there was house? No yes. Dude just never wanted to leave his house and some, a part of me does respect that, but I'm also like brother, you can live smaller than that. But hey, he made that money.
0: <laughs> Listen, it's called Fuck You Pay Me for a Reason. Um and that True. is what I say to you after we get that's what I say to you every time we get off a Zoom call. I say, yeah. fuck you pay me. So that's cool. Uh, my Mercedes valuable player of this was easy. Uh, this was the, it was the Carl Davis score from the Criterion Channel version. Mm. Uh, Carl Davis is someone that I omitted from our fast facts section because I knew we had a lot to talk about, but he is a very interesting person, a very smart person, and a very accomplished composer. I would highly recommend skimming the Carl Davis OBE Wikipedia page for him. He is very interesting. He is my MVP mercedes valuable player of this picture easily i thought the music was fantastic and extremely impressive that it was able to run seamlessly and switch between moods for 27 minutes unbroken hell yeah i do not recommend this movie
1: what about you i am going to give mine to h.m walker uh, my mercedes valuable player to h.m walker he is the man who is at least on imdb credited with writing the titles and i thought the titles were very fun and clever Um, they, and Harold Lloyd movies, Harold Lloyd movies always kind of have fun titles to them. So it was, it's just my way of shouting it out. Uh, I'm going to conditional recommend this. I still think it's worth a watch if it's something that sounds at least minorly interesting to you. Um, but if silent comedies aren't your bag, no pressure, no big deal. That's it.
0: That's it. Let's move on. Let's move on.
1: Yep. We're moving on over there uh nothing i was just my fan was on that was it that was the only thing i forgot that i had my fan on so no big deal
0: okay so that's cool i (laughs) that sucks (laughs) i don't (laughs) don't know what to say
1: about it other than it's
0: such an insane thing to say uh i'm gonna talk about the album ready
1: yes go 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 go. we do have the album talk
0: yes Go, go, go. Let's go. Go, Speed Racer. Go. Uh, hey, guys. Noe here from It's On The List. I got to pick the album this week. Originally, I'd picked something else, which I will be bringing on the show. But when Mason said, we're going west, I said, hi-ho, Silver. Let's fucking <laughs> go, Mason. Let's fucking go.png. Let's go, Mason. Uh, so I picked a... I don't even want to call it a country album Because I don't really think it's a country album But as far as what I had on my list of music That I wanted to bring on this show One of the more country-centered albums It was between this and another one But this is sort of more recent in my mind So we went with Loaded by the Wood Brothers from 2008 Snap, 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 snap Uh, Mason, I'm curious Had you ever heard of the Wood Brothers at all prior to this?
1: No, not at all. And it really did surprise me when I went on their Spotify and saw that they all of their music have tens of millions of streams. I'm like, I can't believe that a band this popular just completely went like that. Um, so this is my first time listening to them.
0: Wow, love that. Uh, that's amazing. Uh, I'm not surprised, though, to be honest with you, because I think that the folks slash blues slash country, whatever you want to call it. I feel like this album specifically is sort of a hodgepodge mixture of like those three genres. It's sort of a blend of all that. I feel like when you are in that world, you can be extremely popular within that world, but I don't know how much crossover... You get, because it's not the most yeah. dominantly popular genre. So I feel like you can be really popular within your genre, but maybe not on a mainstream level. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, um, it was just more surprising to me because this album came out in 2008 and it sounded a, like a, a lot of kind of music I was listening to at the time. You know what I'm saying? Like, this was... Sure. Um, I was listening to uh, that Avett Brothers album I In Love And You a lot during that time and like, I think I was really into Josh Ritter around that time also. Uh, It was just more of like a, oh, these guys seem like they would have been up my alley at some point and I'm just kind of surprised that I never heard of them um, at all. But I think you're absolutely right though um, that this is a very kind of specific um, type of album and while there are sometimes crossover uh, acts, not every single one does, and you can stay very popular in your bubbles. So, so how did you come across these these fine brothers here? Then,
0: I'm taking a page out of the Mason McGuire playbook, and I actually heard them on my Discover Weekly back in 2016. Ah, okay,
1: Okie dokie. Yeah, that, that was a good time for the Discover were- Weekly playlist.
0: It was. Everyone was fucking in love with their Discover Weekly. And I think the Discover Weekly is making a playback because I see people tweeting about their Discover Weekly in a major way on Mm. Twitter.com, which is a place that I go every day and say, Why am I here? And I don't know how much longer I'll be there. So (laughs) that is a fucking crazy thing to say. So enjoy it while you're
1: there, while he's there, folks.
0: (laughs) Yeah, soak it all up while you can, me tweeting me tweeting things like, I guess I'm addicted to giving a crap. <laughs> and, <laughs> and things like that. Those fucking brilliant-ass tweets. Um, but I heard the song, Luckiest Man. It was on my Discover Weekly one week, uh, which is their most popular song. It's their most streamed song on Spotify. Mm. And I was like, damn, this song rocks. I love it. So it was on rotation for me for about... Probably three or four months pretty heavily. I was like, damn, love this song, Luckiest Man. Listen to it all the time. Then, stopped listening to them entirely, pretty much. Forgot mm. about them. They completely exited my life, but not for any particular reason. Just, it just, they weren't really on my mind. They Georgia was not on my mind. Wood Brothers were not on my mind either. And I just was like, I guess I'm just sort of on to other things. But then, because of your. Oh, your—I don't want to say your insistency, but because of you always talking about your Discover Weekly on this, one day I was like, "Man, I should check out what's going on on my Discover Weekly." I haven't really checked in on it in a while because, for me, when I—the reason I kind of stopped checking in on my Discover Weekly is I was like, everything that they're recommending to me feels like a lesser version of things I'm already listening to, so I just like yeah, wasn't sure. enjoying it really. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um,
0: So I checked out my Discover Weekly, though, and the song Postcards from Hell, which is the second track uh, on this album, Mm -hmm. was Mm -hmm. there. And I listened to it, and I was like, oh, fuck yes, dude. These guys are awesome. I haven't listened to these guys in like five years, but they're awesome. And so I started listening to that song, and I literally subsequently immediately went on to listening to the entirety of Loaded. Uh, And I was like, damn, this album fucking kicks ass. So then I listened to their first album, which I have right in front of me and is called, it is called, it is called Ways Not to Lose from 2006. (laughs) Uh, And I was like, damn, these guys fucking rock. I should listen to more of their stuff. Uh, So I put it on the list and now we're talking about it. And that's that. Listen, you got to say something. You can't just give me two <laughs> thumbs up on the podcast, you fucking dick. Um, gotcha. So that's that. Gotcha. All
1: right. So this. So when did you listen to the the album Loaded for the first time? Literally, like,
0: probably like a month ago. Honestly. So this oh, is like a sure. very okay, like okay, okay. new like thing for me. Like this is like gotcha. like that new for me in that okay. case. So okay. There's there's that. But uh, I was looking through are like it, like our episodes and i was like have we ever covered something that could be like considered country like how often do we like dip into that territory yeah,
1: i uh, the closest i could think of would be like Tumblewee connection
0: so i didn't even put that on the list because i don't even really consider that country i consider that but rock. that's no but, i
1: don't really consider it either but it's the closest i feel like we've gotten but you found a different one
0: I think there are two that are closer to country than Tumbleweed Connection.
1: Okay.
0: Uh, One of them was from our L.A. days, though. One of them was from our episode that we did with Rocky where we talked about Buffalo 66. Oh, yeah. And we talked about, yeah, The First American by Pyramid, which is a very interesting album if you... Are new to the show, that is a really good episode, and I would definitely go recommend listening to that episode, and The First American by Pyramid, and then when we had Jimmy on the show, we talked about uh, Pine Grove by, or Marigold by Pine Grove,
1: yeah, 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 that kind of, that kind of, that's a little-ish, kind of country a little bit, kind of country a little bit, yeah, I would kind of tip Tumbleweed Connection closer to country than uh, The pine grove album just because tumbleweed connection is such a um a a specific and direct homage that it like you kind of have to respect it on that level you know
0: yeah i feel that that makes sense uh so i guess three other times we really like dipped into the country wagon and i wouldn't even really call this country like i said before but mason i'm curious this is your first time with these guys how do you
1: classify them And what was your experience listening to this album? So I kind of, I like the kind of like folky Americana kind of, uh, just for me, I was putting them more into like kind of a folk or Americana group. I thought, so when you texted the Wood Brothers, I did not know who they were. And I thought that this was the band, I got them mixed up for a second with the Handsome Family who did the theme song for true detective season one. And I was oh, like, please. I didn't know Noah was so into the band that did the theme song for true detective season one. I didn't know Noah was into true detective season one. Uh, I don't know if we've ever talked about true detective season one. I just text him. Where's Chad all the time. Um, <laughs> The other man at thought- Stop doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Chad? Listeners.
0: Uh, <laughs> if Mason, if Mason, next time Mason does it, check the socials. It's not gonna be a pretty fucking sight the next time Mason I might dox some piece of information
1: about Mason. So that's a little that's a little on-air extortion for you, bud. So, so think fucking
0: wisely next time you do
1: it. <laughs> but you said this is gonna be like kind of a more country album, so I thought, okay, I could listen. Like I'm curious about this. I'll try to listen to it as a country album. And the more I listen to it was uh, the Mars like this for me personally. I feel like it's a more folk kind of Americana thing. Here is my experience with the album. I've listened to it. I want to say three and a half times because the first time I listened Jeez. to it, I got halfway through, and then I didn't. I like paused to do something else, and I didn't pick it up again until like the next day. And I was like, oh fuck, I might as well just restart the album. And I really think that there are. One, two, three, four, five, six songs on here that if those were the only songs on the album, I would be perfectly happy giving this like a full recommend everything else. That's not those songs. I'm a little more. I'm I'm not very hot on it as a cohesive thing, but there, like I said, there it's are six. So here's my six. Um, Love and Arms. I think you start off so. Okay. This album starts off so strong, so well. Number two, postcards from hell. Yep. It's kind of an, an undeniably like just good song. Uh, I really liked walk away. Fall t- walk away was like kind of a new one that I came around on on the most recent listen. Uh, Fall too fast, I really liked as well. Um, and then buckets of rain, and then still close. Um, and still close was another. You don't like one the that-
0: fucking cover of Angel? That cover is amazing.
1: Wait, so who's who did the original version of Angel? Hendrix. Oh. I wasn't a huge that's Hendrix. Jimmy, guy, that's so a,
0: a fucking cover.
1: Th- oh Mason, you're killing me over here, bro. It wasn't my it wasn't my fucking lane, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> I had
0: no fucking idea. You're fucking killing me over here. What As a cover,
1: dude. I'm I'm shocked. I'm shocked that you
0: didn't like that one. I'm shocked, Mason. You're killing Honestly,
1: me. Honestly. Here is my note for it. Uh, it reminded me of Michael Fronti and Spearhead, which is maybe uh, my worst, my nemesis, is that band. Just the music that that band makes. Uh, it reminded me of that. Why? Because I'm
0: they tried saying. to take your lane as 10-year anniversary of
1: 9-11? God. <laughs> uh, no, just because every time I hear their music, I just, my, I, I go into like kind of feral cat attack pose. Like it just, just not hit my frequent, like just does not hit my frequency. And that was kind of my experience listening to the album is some songs really fucking hit my frequency the six that I said but everything else like just missed me like just Damn. missed me and I was just kind of, I'm just kind of like can't vibe with this whole thing I'm sorry that's Damn. it that's it, I'm Damn. sorry. I know it's
0: disappointing. I like this, well, I like this, I don't care. It, I, like this, I like this album more, I think. There's three songs to me that don't quite hit for me, and two of them are songs that you said that you like. Uh, I don't really care for Walk Away that much. I think of the three that I don't like, it's my favorite of the three that I don't like, but I'm still not right. super vibing on it. And then you like Buckets of Rain, and that's that might be my least favorite song on the entire album,
1: to be honest with you. Okay. Um, so I you, don't want to say. It well. seems
0: that you like.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? What? Nothing. Nothing. You were gonna say it seems like you like. <laughs> it
0: seems like you vibe with the stuff that's a little bit on the slower side, a little bit on the more like I don't want to say meditative, but a little bit more on the like droll, a little bit more like Clapton E as far as like it, speed is concerned.
1: I guess I just kind of feel like in my little bit of research I did on this band, it's like a another project from. Chris Wood is that the bassist and the kind of like lead
0: brother? It's Chris and Oliver Wood.
1: Right, right, right. I think Chris was a jazz musician or in a jazz group before this, and so this is kind of like, you know, you know, it's a different band. They're making different music. Totally fine. Glad that they're doing this. That the six that I heard kind of seemed to me like they were using their. Uh, to kind of, you know, bring it back to the Harold Lloyd thing, kind of using their restrictions or these, like, this kind of new sound in the most natural-sounding way. And I guess it just happens that those are the slower ones. I guess they just tend to... All my favorite songs are slow and sad. <laughs> <laughs> all my favorite songs are sick songs unloaded
0: by the... <laughs> <White Brothers. laughs> exactly, exactly. All, all my favorite songs have ten years after 9-11. <laughs> <laughs> Sucks, dude. Sucks so bad. That's a thing on the show now, and that's how you're going to be known in the fucking high school yearbook as the guy who yeah, didn't brother. know when 9-11 was. Uh, <laughs> yep. Yeah. That'd be crazy if you were, like, in a coma and you woke up on the day that 9-11 happened. Just something to think about. Yeah. Who cares? Anyway. Mm-hmm. So, so, this, so this album... Uh, is more on the roots rock, more on the Americana side, I think, than country. But it definitely has a little bit of a southern charm, a southern twang to it. Uh, and I am really here for the muse, the songs on here. Besides the three that I mentioned, which are "Walk Away," "Pray Enough," and "Buckets of Rain," I'm here for this album. Uh, I'm here for this album, pretty much for what it's selling. And I was a little bit worried because I, when I first re-listened to this album, I was in the car and it like wasn't really doing it for me in the same way cuz originally i had listened to this album through headphones. So mm-hmm. when i got back to my house, i popped my headphones on and i was like, "Damn, we got to listen to this fucking thing on headphones." And once i did, i was like, "Oh yeah, i am back in the fucking zone with this thing." Mm-hmm. Uh, and i think that it's interesting because the lyrics on this album, the songs aren't like the most poetic, the most like lyrical, i guess if you want to, you know, use that word to describe lyrics. But I do think there are some bits of, like, southern country wisdom uh, embedded throughout these. And a couple examples of those are, uh, and if you ask him how he sings the blues so well, I got a soul that I won't sell and I don't read Postcards from Hell, which is from the song Postcards from Hell.
1: Did you see that uh, that song which, is written about a uh, kind of a, a homeless kind of roaming outsider artist musician guy in Atlanta? Did you read that? No, that's cool. Yeah, it's written actually about an actual guy, which kind of gives it a leg up. I already love that song, but it was written about... Fuck, I I should have had this pulled up. Um, It was written about an Atlanta-based musician uh, who, I think his name's like David McCollier or something like that. Um, But it's kind of, it's like written about him and I think he... Actually, if you want to keep talking, I will pull up the actual quote that that Chris would... Said about postcards from hell.
0: Yeah. Uh, then the other two little examples of like the country wisdom that I think is spewed on this or and if you got good mind to pray, they say somebody playing, but if he got it, but what, Ugh. but, and if you got good mind to pray, they say somebody playing, but what if he got slippery hands? God damn, you're a boy, not a man. Man, when you're, when you miss those loving arms. I know I fucking butchered that just now, but that like, through line of goddamn you're not a boy a man when you miss these loving arms just reminds me so much of uh the um, the night of the hunter that like very Mm -hmm. like spiritual like i don't want to say like you know like like gospel stuff but like just like a very like spiritual very like huge force coming
1: through so here was my note on that song this sounds like homesickness sure Totally, that's I'm what there. I hear I'm in that song. That. Yeah, that's what I really like about that song. Um, that's why that one gets the special shout. That's the song that I like just it's like just love, love, love. I would full recommend just that song itself um, because I think it does evoke that feeling of homesickness really, really well. Uh, here, and I in found the last. Uh, Yeah, go for it. So uh, the song is about Donnie McCormick. Actually, I got the name wrong there. Uh, More generally, people like Donnie McCormick. This is from the Genius page for Postcards, uh, Postcard from Hell. Uh, In Chris Wood's own words, it's about the unsung heroes and artists that are doing incredible things but nobody's paying attention, but they're doing it anyways because they've got to do it. They have to play because they love it and they have a need for it. The need to express yourself. Donnie McCormick is just one of those guys who didn't have anything to eat and certainly didn't have a lot of money. And sometimes people weren't really paying attention except for the people who got it. Like my brother, he saw McCormick at a place with a bunch of TVs, a sports bar, and he saw that he was doing incredible things, inspiring things, but some people aren't tuned in. They're too busy watching the game or the news. They miss out on all of it. And that's what it's about. And I think that that song hits that. I think that song gets that. totally,
0: absolutely. It's just like a guy who's doing his thing. Not tempted by otherworldly stuff. He's not tempted by material things. He's doing it because he has no other choice. And it comes through in his music. And that is a great little passage about that. Thanks for pulling that up. Uh, and the only other lyric that I, wanted to, uh, that I wanted to shout out is, I think this is from st- the last song, Still Close. Uh, As I dreamed I could find you somewhere in my looking glass, I saw a bird flying, was ruby red throat, I should have known you were still close. And that's just mm. a real lovely sentiment about you know missing someone, whether they're passed on or whether they're just not near you, You know, even just seeing a bird flying reminds you of someone. This very simple imagery, this very straightforward, pastoral at times, but just very spiritual and natural lyrics uh, at at times can be very beautiful. And I do think that just in general, maybe the songwriting is maybe one of the weaker points of the album, that's, just sort of as a whole. Yeah, you know? uh,
1: yeah, that's my thing. There are some, there's some songs in here where there is just like one word too many in like the chorus and I'm just like I'm out I really I guess this album made me realize that I really put a lot of stock into like a song with at least with with lyrics that are good I think most songs have good lyrics and when it doesn't quite fit together it really sticks out at least to me like uh even in walkaway which is a song that I like a lot and my kind of note on that is that I love the bass riff I love Chris Woods bass playing um there's that my that I have lost my mind again. It's like he he rhymes, like, behind with mind and then throws in that extra again, and I'm like, why'd you throw that in there, bud? Or in the, um, what was the fucking, uh, I think it don't look backwards as any time when I hear the angels sing and then he throws in to me. I'm like, I don't think that that's necessary, and that's kind of what puts me off the card a little bit, I think. You know, it's just well, I agree. that. I agree that the
0: songwriting is probably one of the weaker aspects of this album, but it doesn't bother me enough to the point where I'm like, I can't be with these songs because I think that the instrumentation and the arrangements and just the sound of the music for me is what drives the things here and really just makes it special. Yeah.
1: I think this is definitely an album that's like the, the musicianship on this is, is really impressive and it's why like, Postcards from Hell is a song written by like I think an expert musician like another song that it kind of brings to mind it's not quite this like technical but um, Richard um, uh, Richard Thompson's 1952 Black Lightning like oh uh, sure that one yeah and that one's like just really him but I think that the riff in Postcards from Hell is just so strong because it just evokes like this kind of indefatigable spirit you know in the character of the song And I think sometimes on this album, they're really on the mark with with what they're trying to accomplish and what they're trying to get get through. And just sometimes they just like miss it. And again, while I think that they're strong musicians, I just couldn't vibe with them when they're not quite on the mark, I guess. You know, I think that's just kind of my summation of my feelings of the album here.
0: That's fair. I don't even, to me, it's not being off the mark. To me, it's just like, okay, clearly their musicianship and their ability to play instruments and like, build a song on a sonic level is on one level like up here and the songwriting is not quite at the same level sure and to me that's really what it comes down to but it doesn't bother me i think in the same way because i'm so enraptured with most of the songs on here and i gotta give special shout out to that cover of angel and i guess that's crazy that you know i think that that proves that it does its job as a cover or at least what i consider to be a good cover because you didn't even know it was a cover at the end of the
1: day you know I'm just not a Hendrix head. Like, you know, uh, some people get really into Hendrix. I'm just not one of those guys. But, I, yeah, I guess you're right. You know, it, to that point, it, they accomplished it. I didn't even think that it was not written by them. So, I guess they win. What do I know? They win. You lose. Uh, let's, go fast, let's go into some facts.
0: Let's go into Actually, before we go into fast facts, I had a little quote from them. I believe this was from their website. Oh, cool. Uh, and uh, I don't think – I don't know if this song, this quote – is for about the album Loaded. It was hard to tell. It was not actually clear. But I do like the quote, and it's about one of their albums. I have a feeling it might be about their newest album because I think they released some music recently. But this quote was on their website, and it goes, quote, Everyone has these little kingdoms in their minds, says Chris Wood. And the songs on this album all explore the ways we find peace in them. They look at how we deal with our dreams and our regrets and our fears and our loves. They look at the stories we tell ourselves and the ways we balance the darkness and the light. And I think there's some of that going on in this album, whether or not that quote is actually attributed to the album Loaded by the Wood Brothers. I don't, it was, again, it was unclear on the website who it was about or what album it was about. But I really like that. And it mm-hmm. reminds me of that Tennessee Williams quote, which I can look up. I'm going to paraphrase just for the time being. But it's like, no one is like inherently good or bad. Do you know what quote I'm talking
1: about? Have you ever heard that one? Not striking a Bell. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Hold on. No one
0: you know uh, is good or bad, I believe. Yes, okay, here we go. Goodreads.com coming through in, in the clutch. Nobody sees anybody truly, but all through the flaws of their own egos. That is the way we see all, each other in life. Vanity, fear, desire, competition, all such distortions within our own egos condition our visions of those in relation to us. Add, though, distortions to our own egos and the corresponding distortions in the egos of others. I got a pop-up ad for fucking Goodreads in the middle of that. And you will see how cloudy the glass must become, which we look at each other through. That's how it is in all living relationships, except when the rare cases of which two people love e- love intensely enough to burn through all the layers of opacity and see each other's naked hearts. I got to be honest, that wasn't the exact quote that I was looking for, but it does but the fucking trick. But it's good as
1: trick. hell, right? T- that Tennessee yeah. Williams really could... St- String a fucking yarn.
0: (laughs) I think he was on to something. We should look into him. Maybe bring him on the show.
1: Uh, Mason, do you have anything else to say about Loaded? Uh, Not before the kind of wrap up section. Great. The Wood
0: Brothers are an American folk band consisting of brothers Chris and Oliver Wood as well as multi-instrumentalist Jano Ricks. Growing up in Boulder, Colorado, their father was a molecular biologist and performed classic songs The Campfires while their mother was a poet who instilled a passion for storytelling in them. The brothers bonded over bluesmen such as Jimmy Reed and Lightning Hopkins, but their paths musical and otherwise would diverge when Oliver moved to Atlanta, where he played guitar in cover bands before earning a spot in Tinsley Ellis' touring act. At Ellis' behest, Oliver began to sing and then founded King Johnson, a hard touring group that released six albums of blues-infected R&B and funk and country over the next 12 years. Mason, maybe that's that's something you need to check out. Yeah, sounds Uh, right up my
2: alley.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Chris, meanwhile, studied jazz Base at the New England Conservatory of Music moved to New York City and in the early 90s formed Madeski Martin and Wood also known as MMW for short which over the next two decades would become a cornerstone of contemporary jazz and abstract music mm. uh, blah 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 then they come together uh, 15 years later the brothers performed a show together at North Carolina in May uh, on May 24th 2001 Oliver sat in with MMW following King Johnson's opening set and he realized and Chris realized uh, we should be playing music together soon after they recorded a batch of songs channeling the shared heroes blah 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 their songwriting blah 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 they came together who cares a demo landed them a recording contract with blue note records who released their first album ways not to lose in 2006 the album was produced by john Medesi. Of MMW and recorded on September in September of 2005 at Allaire Studios in Shokan, New York. Ways Not to Lose was Amazon.com editor's number one pick in the folk section that year, mm. and an album that also made NPR's Overlooked Eleven of 2006. That's what I got as fast fa- as far as fast facts are concerned. Mason, what's your Mercedes Valuable Player, and do you recommend this fucking thing?
1: I am going to give my Mercedes Valuable Player to. Um chris woods uh bass playing i think that the bass is my favorite let's say character and i like saying the word character today uh favorite character in this album it's the one that like any time that i it was more often than not like an anchor for me when listening to the music and also like kind of my favorite part of most of the songs that i think you can kind of um uh, aren't as essential for me i will say i will kind of circle back to the point i made at the top here you know those six songs that I mentioned. Um, I think that they're all really interesting and on their own kind of make a really tight um, kind of EP or maybe shorter album. The rest I could kind of leave behind. So I'm going to give this one just a very basic light recommend um, because I just I'm really shocked think that, that the, you're
0: giving this a recommend. I'm shocked. Yeah,
1: I you kind of convinced me on it. I really was going to give it a conditional conditional recommendo here um but i'm giving it just a, a a very light recommend just on the basis of talking about it with you maybe you know appreciate their kind of like musicianship and the, the the when the songwriting and the songcraft really hits really fucking hits and i think it's worth that those six songs are, are worth it um so light recommend to this maybe other people will like it more than i will i can't say for certain so give it give it give it a shot
0: Damn, I really thought this was gonna this was gonna scratch a like Songs Ohio esque itch for you. Not in the same way that Songs Ohio maybe does, but like, you know, when you finish a show that you really like and you're like, damn, I can't believe that I like don't have that show to watch, but someone recommends right. you a similar show and you're like, you know what? This kind of fills that hole in my heart of breaking bad or the Sopranos or Mad Men or something. I thought right. this might do that for you.
2: Uh
1: not 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 as much. <laughs> But. Great.
0: Uh, for me, my Mercedes Bible player is going to go to Oliver Woods vocals. I think he's a great singer.
1: I think he sings. With he lot is a of very heart. good singer. Yeah. Yeah.
0: He's I think singer. he sings with a lot of passion. Uh, I think that is my that's just my favorite aspect of this is just listening to him sing. Uh, and I think in certain times, because maybe the songwriting and the lyrics are not as uh, at, not as high on a level as the musicianship and the arranging and the pure just musical talent of these three guys I think the vocals tend to carry something that might not be as lyrically interesting. So, for me, gotta be Oliver Woods vocals. Although Chris does sing sometimes, I'm pretty sure Oliver is, like, the main guy that we're hearing in most of these songs. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And I'm gonna give it just a regular old recommend. Like I said, there's a couple songs in here that don't hit for me, but I think this is absolutely worth checking out. Especially if you've never heard these guys before, and especially if you're into, like an Avett brothers type band. I think an yeah, Avett brothers yeah, are a yeah, very yeah, yeah. strong analog to these guys. So yeah, that's what I'd say. Definitely.
1: I think that this is, um, maybe I'll bring Josh, a Josh Ritter album on the show, but Josh Ritter is also kind of in this zone. Have you heard Josh Ritter?
0: No chef. Okay. I'm going to keep in mind. Okay. Mason, we got one more got thing one more to talk thing. about today. We got emotion picture. Yeehaw. <speaking in the mix> Fire your gun! <speaking in the mix> uh, he's got a gun. He's got a gun on a horse. He doesn't know how to use the horse and the gun. Uh, he's driving into the railroad. Oh no! The, tra- the train! <speaking in> the, <mix> the train just hit the horse. <speaking in> the <mix> oh, it's the <laughs> it's the podcasting duo of the West, Noah and Mason, folks, here to podcast their way out of danger. <speaking in the mix>
1: I'm uh I <laughs> loving really loving the imagination this episode. We're really having some fun. We're having we're having some fun doing some improvisational comedy on this gosh darn podcast. Mason, you want preview to preview the movie? Uh I'm such uh I'm such a downer. Uh so we're talking this day this week <laughs> <Yeah>. about uh <laughs> uh this week we watched um uh Monty Hellman's Ride in the Whirlwind. I didn't know it was called Ride in the Whirlwind until the title came up. I have for years been calling it Ride the Whirlwind. Same. Same, 100%. I didn't realize it was called Ride was really in the Whirlwind either. What uh, the fuck? A huge Bernstein, Bernstein bear situation. <laughs> Some Mandela effect shit happening. I swear it must have been Ride the Whirlwind somewhere. Yes. Right? Yeah I thought the same got, exact thing And they, when it came up I was like There's no fucking
0: way it's called Ride in the Whirlwind I swear it was Ride the Whirlwind The entire time I knew
1: me it too, Me too uh, Jack Nicholson got me fucked up here uh, <laughs> Monty Hellman Got me straight, straight up, up fucked but, up For real dude uh, But uh, Yeah this is another new to me Continuing the tradition I wanted to do an, a western This episode because I had never seen a western I don't know why I didn't go with like a foundational Kind of tax, like a John Ford or something of that era why we went with the kind of uh, more revisionist thing only for the fact that ever since I had heard about this movie after seeing Tulane Blacktop for the first time as a senior in high school it has been on my list and now it is on the Criterion channel it is very easy to stream it is an hour and 22 minutes or something like that so I thought fuck it why not let's make this one the movie this week and that's it. That was my thought process behind. This. Did you say you've never seen a western? No, I've seen westerns.
0: What did you say then at the beginning? You were like, "I've never seen a western. I don't know why I." Went oh, to I was like, "I don't
1: know more. why I went with something like this. I don't know why I was just saying that. Like, I don't know why I, uh, my thought process was. Let's go for something in the '60s after the like kind of at the tail end of the western sort of I as hear big as saying. it was. Um, why not go for something like John Ford or something earlier, which I don't have as much familiarity with. I feel like I have a much more for, which like much more familiarity with movies from like Westerns from this period and later and not as much before that was sure. the point I was trying to make.
0: Well, I was actually, I was going to ask you why, why did you decide that you were going to go Western town on this episode? Were you just feeling that or did you I have anything in it. mind?
1: I was just feeling, I couldn't go, like I was going through my kind of watch lists on all the streaming sites And like on Letterboxd and on the, the, the the secret document of our favorite movies. And I'm like, nothing really here is strike is like hitting me, um, as something to bring on the show or something that I'm like dying to watch that I kind of need to make an excuse to watch almost, you know? Um, and so I just went on, um, my first, my first thing, my first thought was like, I kind of want to watch an older comedy. And so I went on Criterion Channel and filtered out, um, like, kind of, I think, 20s through the 50s and then comedy. And Harold Lloyd came up first, and I'm like, oh, shit, let's do – it's a Western parody. Why don't I try to find – it's like, oh, the Harold Lloyd short came up, and I thought, great, I can bring on the short finally. And then it's, like, kind of a Western parody, and I thought, fuck it. I don't know, you know, much about Westerns. What's a Western movie that's streaming on the channel? first thing that came up was Cat Ballou, and I'm like I don't know if I want to bring on two western comedies uh to the show uh so I just chose I changed my mind on that one and did just like the next one that like was the only movie that I can think of I was like dying to cross off my long list and that was right in The Whirlwind uh, directed by Monty Hellman 1966
0: wow so that's that. Fucking, th- fucking thrilling, dude.
1: <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. I think our our listeners will like that anecdote as well as they love anything that. Comes they out. love everything that we say on this pod, regardless <laughs> of what it is. Yeah. So
0: that's actually great for us. Yeah. Um, ex- excellent. I got. I got. I am. I'm curious, and it's probably mostly selfishly. Why do you like Tulane Blacktop as much as you do? I saw that it was like a five-star movie for you. So
1: I'm basing that off of how much it hit me when I was a senior in high school. I have the like okay. big Criterion DVD that also has, or the DVD set that also has the scripts that I feel like I picked up at like a used bookstore or something. Not the first, my first experience watching that movie. Here is how that movie came into my life. Yeah. Would you believe... So... That movie came into my life because I was really into past show topic, Pacific Ocean Blues. And I was really into oh. Dennis Wilson. Sure. And I okay. heard that Dennis Wilson was in this movie, his only screen role. And I'm like, okay, interesting. And then I see that it's also starring James Taylor. And I'm right. like, this really feels like something I'm interested in. And so I put it on. And I got to say, it must have been one of the first like kind of independent movies I watched from any time before... 1990 or something, you know? Oh, and it's interesting that it's at least that I can remember. Um, and it's interesting that, um, that movie has to like a, a rocks, I don't want to say rock star, but a, a, a pop musician, Dennis Wilson, even though he's like the drummer in the Beatles, the beach boys, goodness, fucking gracious. Um, (laughs) you're a fucking freak. You are a fucking freak.
0: Certified. (laughs) Uh, seven days a a week uh, wet ass podcasts <laughs>
1: Make those, make that pullout game strong. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but you have, it's before James Taylor really hit it big. He was still kind of like a struggling folk artist or a struggling singer, songwriter or whatever in California. And so I watched it and it was this very like kind of, uh, and Warren Oates is in it. Uh, the goat. Yeah. Warren you Oates. love that guy. I love that guy. He, uh, big fan of that dude. Love him. Um, and I watched this movie, and it's kind of just, like... It's one of those movies where I realized that a movie can be more about, like, the sensation you get while watching it. And it can kind of be, like, the what you think about after. Because there's that ending shot of that movie that's always stuck with me. Um, just, like, how much... How, how perfect, like, that kind of last sort of, like, sequence is. And also just, like, how... Um, I, I don't know. It's, like, I feel like some... Some teens, some kids get really into like beat poetry or something. I that kind of missed me, but this was my like kind of beat poetry sort of thing. I don't know if it would hold up as much if I rewatched it, but it kind of kicked off like a a fascination with seventies car movies. You know, like The Driver or Vanishing Point or things like that. Um, I know you're not as hot on that movie as I am, but it's (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah. yeah. So uh, so this is this is always going to be an uphill battle.
0: Uh, so I watched Tulane Blacktop. I looked on Letterbox. I was using Letterboxd at this time frequently. I watched it on March 18th, 2018. So we're coming up on the three-year anniversary yeah. uh, of me having seen Tulane Blacktop. Uh, but there's a lot actually going on in my life at the time of me watching this. Uh, oh, it was okay. like f- like two-ish weeks, maybe less, from when I was shooting my short film that I talked about, really uh, like on happy birthday holden last episode so i was like pretty much just focused on that i was like okay. like not really in a mindset to like okay let's really in, like figure out what's going on in this fucking dark, depressing, driving movie from the 70s, starring basically mostly non-actors in lead roles. Like, let's really figure this. Let's crack that nut open. And I just was not really in a place where I, like, really could give it my, like, full attention just because I was so focused on something else that I had coming up in my life. And I only realized that in retrospect because in the moment I'm just like, I just need to get my fucking mind off This fucking movie. I need to fucking Yeah, this is not a chill
1: out movie to watch. This is gonna put you if you're in a shitty mood, it's gonna put you in a worse mood.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I just remember like turning it off and I think my letterbox review was literally something to the effect of like, I don't fucking know. Like, dude, I don't fucking know
2: about this. That's fair, that's fair, that's fair.
0: and I just remember thinking, like, damn, this kind of sucked for me a lot uh, to watch this. But I just thought it was kind of boring at the end of the day. Uh, but I would like to rewatch it, though, to be honest okay. with you. See if that changed. But that was before I watched Ride in the Whirlwind. Oh, dear. Um, And I had put the shooting and this movie actually on my sort of, like, priorities, like, list whenever I'm like, what should I watch tonight? And I can sort of like filter through by genre or whatever on Letterboxd. I had added the shooting and Ride the Whirlwind, which are companion pieces, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes. Are you going to get into
1: Uh, that in the Fast Packs? Yeah, a a little bit. Not
0: not as much. But uh, I was just like, okay, yeah, let's fucking see. I don't know. I think Westerns personally for me are very hit and miss. I don't have a ton of experience with John Mm -hmm. Ford Westerns. Like I don't have like you know, the biggest vocabulary about stuff like that. I remember in film school, they made us watch Stagecoach, which I was not a fan of at the time. I thought it was kind of boring. Um, And just, like, of that, like, if I'm, like, interested in, like, something that takes place in that time period, for me, Unforgiven, Blazing Saddles, Django, Dead Man. Like, that's, like, more, like, I, I like the setting of the West, but I don't know if I necessarily, like a western maybe maybe i just like the setting more than Mm -hmm. anything else so needless to say mason uh when i was watching this movie uh i was bored to tears (laughs) i was not into it at all so that's all i gotta say
1: about it to be perfectly honest with you uh i was riveted by this thing that's that's where i'm at i um, really yeah truthfully i mean I will say this much, doing a podcast, and I'm saying this now because I just recorded the penultimate episode of The Barn on Monday, okay. the Monday before. And thinking about how doing that show with Connor and then with the guests that we brought on, it got me to re sort of orient my thinking about just drama and and structure and things like that. I'm watching this movie and I'm just like completely swept up in the incidents of it and how it's just this sort of like Unforgiven, uh, unforgiving rather um, just, just really stark and violent and just kind of like senseless story about um, two guys on the run, basically maybe three guys on the run, but just like, I was really caught up in the incidents of this thing. And even me saying that I'm like, I definitely know for sure this is not a film for everybody. You know, you know yeah, yeah, this is like, I think that like people that really love, pulpy shit and I know that you don't it's not that you dislike pulpy shit but it's not like your go-to like it kind of is absolutely you know like I really like something that you can just really fucking like just like really kind of chokes you (laughs) basically while you're watching it Um, and yeah I really ended up admiring and liking this this film especially given the kind of the talent on the page I'll say and also in front of the screen Or on the, on the screen, you know, um, it's an early Jack Nicholson performance, probably the earliest Jack Nicholson performance I've ever seen. Um, Harry, I would probably
0: uh, echo that sentiment. I can't think of an earlier time, which I've seen. And it's like,
1: yeah, his, like his sort of like golden period, you know, is like, uh, it's five easy pieces in 70 is, is 1969 or 70. And then he's kind of like basically undefeated as a movie star, for the next 40 years, basically, or 30 years, however you want to, you know, he's wins like, like up four in, <laughs> up
0: through. How do you know? And his, you know, Irish goodbye. Yeah, yeah, to yeah, cinema. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I'm leaving. James, it was great working with you. Thanks for giving me 50 million dollars. I'm going to be at the Lakers games. It's been a Thanks lot of for fun letting acting me for sub the last on a 70 boat. years. <laughs>
0: Let's do a whole pod where you and I are just doing Jack fucking Nicholson. Yeah. Man, I thought this movie was real fucking groovy. I thought this movie stunk like a, like a baby's asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this uh, movie smelled like fucking shit, which
1: this movie does kind of smell, smell like, like, fucking like shit. shit. Yeah. Like that's another thing that I like about this movie is that there's just like, it's kind of a, it's a daylight. It takes place in all daylight. Basically. It's like so True. harsh and so unforgiven forgiving um and that is uh, so fucking crazy i keep fucking saying that
0: unforgiven dude you
1: are actually
0: such a freak right now it's crazy you are such a fucking freak sometimes on this pod man it cracks me up
1: yeah uh, as opposed to how normal i am in our normal day-to-day (laughs) conversation.
0: That's the thing. You don't even get to see, You guys are seeing me. you hearing like 10% of Mason's freakiness on this pod. He only really lets the freak flag really fly if you get a fucking DM going with him. So, any ladies out there listening to this pod, get in Mason's DMs if you really want to see how freaky this motherfucker can be. That's all I'm saying. Uh,
1: anyways, any. What what point were we on? Oh, it smells like shit. This movie smells like shit. Yeah. Like at one point, I'm watching this. I think it's like in the middle of that shootout. Like just um uh uh the shootout where they like uh, uh the main shootout the first one, I guess the first one. Yeah, where I'm just like, oh god. Like if if you were in the West, if you were in like a cowboy town or something, it was hot. You were sweaty. You were around animal shit all the time. It must have stunk to high fucking heaven. And this movie really brings that point home <laughs> I think you well, can the, the feel thing that, that anyway.
0: I always think about in in that sort of realm is in Blazing Saddles whenever anyone eats something how they're just not like farting, farting. <laughs> and they're just, they're just like such normal dudes that they're eating like beans and like gruel out of like a can that they lugged with them for like a hundred miles and then in Blazing Saddles just everyone <laughs> lifting their asses in the air and farting around the campfire gets me every single time that's yeah. me, though. That's
1: just me. Maybe hey. Maybe I'm, the, maybe, I'm addicted,
0: maybe I'm addicted to laughing. Maybe I'm addicted to having a good
1: time. Who knows? It is it, it it is one of the all time great maybe the all time great farting bit in cinema. Um and, I would I would say so. Yeah. Definitely. Um Harry Dean <laughs> Stanton is cool in this movie,
0: and he's Harry, credited as Dean Stanton.
1: Yeah. Baby faced Harry Dean Stanton, wearing a little eye patch. Uh it makes you realize. How long that guy fucking worked?
0: Yep, yep. He. What a champ! I think the last thing he did was like in 2017. I think was his last movie. Lucky came out in like 2017, and yeah, uh, he just worked and worked and worked. And in the movie Sunny, directed by Nick Cage, he gets blown up by a, by a truck, <laughs> which is one of the craziest things I've ever seen in a movie. Um, He's in the legend. Avengers,
1: is he? Yeah, he shows up in the Avengers. He is, uh, when Hulk smashes through the ceiling right before the big climax, he is the security guard that comes out. The fuck? Yeah. That's crazy. I didn't even know that. Love that guy. One of the all-time great guys, Harry Dean Stanton.
0: Yeah, sort of an all-time guy. (laughs) Yeah, just sort of one of the best guys, I would say. Yeah, I'm thinking he's one
1: of the guys.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He's just one of the boys. Yeah, I'm thinking he's just one of the fucking boys. (sighs) Ugh. You have any, I don't have anything to say about this movie. Other I, than I thought it was boring to be honest uh, with
1: you. I I really uh I appreciated it. It's not as good as an earlier movie that I think is kind of in the same a, a movie that we covered also on the show in a similar vein which is One False Move. I would say if you are not into kind of pulpier stuff and you just want like a fun like kind of just just movie to watch, One False Move is the way to go over this. But if you've been waiting to see this movie, then I don't think that if you like Tulane Blacktop or if just, like, the idea of a script written by Jack Nicholson interests you, um, I don't know. I liked it. I thought it was a good movie. I thought it was, um, pretty straightforward. Couldn't, couldn't, like, worst ways to kill an hour and 22 minutes.
0: That's it. I, I'm having a hard time, having a hard time thinking of ones myself, to be honest with you. Um... I don't know. What do you get out? Of, what do you get out of this movie? I'm just so curious. A good time.
1: A good time. I just, sometimes it's enough for me to just watch like, a so here's the thing. I don't know if you're going to get into this in the fast facts. This is a movie that was made for, uh, a roughly $80,000 or something like that. Yeah. Or as part of something like that. I just like seeing how creative folks can get with that amount of money at that time. You know, it's, it's a little bit, you know, what you could buy and kind of what you can make, um, in the middle of the desert, you know? Um, I don't know. I'm watching it and I, it's honestly, it's enough for me just to watch this movie and have a good time and just like kind of, um, just, just have a good time watching it. I don't know. I don't, it's not like I'm taking away a lesson or anything, but it's just kind of like, I gave that movie an hour and 22 minutes of my time and I'm like, I had a fucking good time watching it. I thought it was pretty good. I thought the performance was good. That's
0: it. Okay. That's I it. can't say the same, but that That's is, okay. Mason, that is where you and I will have to pull off on the road and I will say goodbye and you will say bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> spit as loud as you can and I'll spit as loud as I can into your mouth. But I got nothing else. I got I got actually some pretty interesting fast facts, I will say, because yeah, let's do the it. production of this and Monty Hellman is sort of an interesting guy. So here we go. <sighs> Hellman said that Roger Corman had agreed to put up funds for a Hellman-directed Western at a lunch meeting at the Old Brown Derby on Vine Street, just south Uh, of Hollywood Boulevard. Hell yeah. One of a small chain of famous restaurants in Los Angeles, the famous hat-shaped location being on Wilshire Boulevard. A little L.A. humor for everyone. That (laughs) building,
1: yeah, that, that structure still somewhat exists. It's very close to RFK High School on Wilshire, but they built like a mini, like kind of a strip mall around it, so you can still see the dome of the Brown Derby. Derby, but it's not the Brown Derby. And it just makes me very sad that that place was so that city is sometimes so disrespectful to its classic architecture.
0: It's just a disrespectful city, period.
1: Yeah, every time.
0: <laughs> Just on everything. Uh, and when I go back, uh, it's going to be disrespectful <laughs> to me when I go back. It's going to be like, ah, oh, I thought we already ha- I thought we already had enough of you. You I thought we already had enough <laughs> of you. Hot toke, spit in my fucking face. Uh, By the end of the lunch, Corman had allowed that since Hellman was making one Western, this is such fucked up logic on Roger Corman's part, he had thought that since they were making one Western, he might as well make two. (laughs) Presumably, because in the mind of the budget conscious Corman, this would allow to make two films for less than the usual cost, which... I love that. I think that's cool. that's, That's smart. But, brother, it didn't really work, to be honest with you. They basically paid the same amount that they would have.
1: I, uh... He got two movies for the price of one.
0: I guess. The films were made back-to-back with the shooting being in production first... Hellman said that the crew and some cast members stayed on location and after taking a break for a week, they began filming Ride in the Whirlwind. However, other than travel costs, shooting the Tombs film back to backs did not result in appreciable savings. Mm. Hellman stated that both films were made for under seventy five grand. So mm. that is impressive. Making a movie for less a feature film that was financed by a studio for less than seventy five grand. It's impressive not going to lie. That is an impressive feat. Not everyone can say that. Uh, Hellman and Jack Nicholson, who produced, wrote, and acted in Ride the Whirlwind and had a smaller role in the shooting, had agreed that if they went over budget, they would pay the overage out of their own pockets. Thus, they were very careful to keep within budget. That is how you make sure you don't go over budget.
1: Yeah, that's like M. Night Shyamalan putting up a mortgage every time he wants to make a movie. Or in the last... Does he do that? That's what he's done since, I think, The Visit. um, I think, yeah because he did the happening and then after earth yeah so then starting with the visit he was like um i got to start being scared again i think was his exact quote to talk about this sure. on check and he's just kind of he like put up the mortgage on his house for the visit and then for kind of basically every movie after including glass and like say what you will about those movies as movies they are one man's vision and he made a lot of fucking money back making them Dude, so he kn- I he have, knows something i respect I have it he- man
0: I have huge respect for M. Night Shyamalan. Good I think time. that he is incredibly talented, but sometimes it gets muddled based on how his head. His
1: head f- got really big in the two thousands.
0: That, and I think that maybe he like got into some like weird contract situations. Maybe I don't know. This is just pure speculation, but like maybe like he didn't have Final Cut or, like, whatever, and the people, like, changed shit. Like, I have a feeling, like, because of how big he got and, like, the level of talent that he was working with, it was, like, he went from making The Sixth Sense, which was such a surprise hit, you know, that year, that it was yeah, like, oh, yeah, you know what? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. you want to make The Village? Fine, we'll let you make The Village. You know, we'll let you have this, that, and the other thing, but, like, we're going to stand over your shoulder and, like, you track everything you do. That's just pure speculation. I don't know, because if you watch Sixth Sense unbreakable uh what whatever else he's made i don't know i even even signs to a certain degree like signs very competent very good very smart careful thoughtful filmmaker at work and something just happened some shit just happened i think culture kind of
1: i think so i really like the film the village this is not going to be the m night Shyamalan village podcast i think the village is actually a film that is unfairly maligned i think it's a very strong just like piece of of, of filmmaking and, and the only thing people remember from that movie is the twist and you watch it in the movie and it is not nearly as obnoxious as if you go into the movie, knowing what the twist is, it's not as obnoxious. It doesn't feel as like kind of um, annoying, but I could definitely see being in 2000. Then that five or whenever that movie comes out, that puts a bad taste in your mouth. Then the lady in the water comes out and everyone's just like, what are you doing, dude? And then he basically turns into self parody with the happening and kind of he, does a lot of like kind of bigger budget movies. I think where the thing that is happening that you're saying is happening where he's just like kind of is losing it. I don't know. I like that kind of like, you got to be a little scared making a movie kind of thing. Totally. You
0: know? Absolutely. And he actually has a great interview with Norm MacDonald.
1: He on does Netflix. on his Netflix show. He does. Man, great that, interview. Great interview. That was, that's a good show. Norm MacDonald has a show.
0: Yeah. And the Lauren good Michaels show. interview is great too because like Norm, you know, was an SNL guy. So he can be a little more like, Hey, you're kind of a dickhead (laughs) to Lauren than maybe like a David Letterman or a a Jay Leno. Lauren
1: respected Norm so much, as far as I understand it, like Lauren. I think he respected him so much
0: that he fired him. There's a difference.
1: There's a story there. It's not worth getting into on this podcast, but it's a little more complicated than just whatever. Let's keep going. Fast facts.
0: Uh, I, I know because I want to tell you about the time that I watched The Visit. Uh, because the time that I watched The Visit, uh, I was new to being a freshman at Chapman University and they were doing a pre-screening of The Visit. And so I'm like, oh, I'll go to that. That's cool. A movie that hasn't come out yet that's showing at my college. Yeah, I'll go see that. One of the best theater experiences I've ever had. Really? The audience was so fucking fun. That is so
1: cool. That is so cool.
0: Everyone was so into it; they like ate up sort of the like, I don't want to say schmaltz, but they just like were just like absolutely there for every yeah. They were the, in like, the
1: pocket the whole time,
0: absolutely, and they were reacting Hell yeah. really loud Hell and they yeah. were being very like communicative and emoting a lot. And I was like, "Damn, college is fucking sick. You get to see the visit. I love college. <laughs> I love college. Yeah, I love the visit directed by M Night Shyamalan, and I love college. Okay." Shut up! Shut up! (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Hellman said that producers would sometimes hire him (laughs) to find out where he had shot the films, being the shooting and Ride in the Whirlwind, then fire him once they found out. He stated that he was the last to film in that area that they filmed in uh, because it was filled with water soon after. Both Ride in the Whirlwind and the shooting feature some reddish low mountains with white lines in the rock, possibly watermarks from a past age when, mm. air, when the area was filled with water. So Hell yeah.
1: That's cool. The uh, desert's Hellman, so cool, man. I love the desert.
0: Uh, Hellman reportedly spent over a year editing the film Ride in the Whirlwind, uh, then had it play at various film festivals throughout the world. In 1967, it received excellent reviews at Montreal World Film Festival and was shown out of competition at Cannes. I don't know who this actor is, but it said that Rupert Cross lied about his ability to ride a horse, so that he would be cast. In I the think movie. that's the guy that
1: played Otis.
0: I don't yeah. think it is. I think that Otis Otis is one of the main guys, right? He's the a, like the guys. square jawed guy. He's a square j- yeah. jawed
1: guy. Yeah,
0: I don't think that's I don't think that's Rupert Cross. I think he might be one of the like banditos who are like after him or whatever. Um, but either way, I have no fucking idea. But he lied about riding a horse, and I just think riding a horse. I've never ridden a horse in my life. Sounds like one of the scariest things that you can do, to be honest with you. Have you <laughs> oh, ever written a horse?
1: Rupert, uh, I've never written a horse. It's it does very scary. Uh Rupert Cross is is credited as playing the character of Indian Joe. So he's the kind of, I think, uh uh I think I know which character it is. Interesting, interesting, interesting.
0: Apparently this is also the Riot in the Whirlwind is one of Tarantino's favorite westerns. I wasn't able to find like a ton oh, of like okay. quotage about it, but basically he said it was like one of the most like like one of his favorite and one of the things the most like interesting westerns that he had ever seen. Hmm. So, this gets a big seal of approval from QT himself. Gotcha. Um, in addition to his directorial career, Hellman worked on several different films in different capacities. He was the dialogue director for Corman's The St. Valentine's Day Massacre, the second unit director on Robocop, believe it or not, which is Hell yeah, fucking crazy. Hell yeah. Um, uh, He also finished two movies that were in post-production that were started by other directors who died after the movies were shot. One of which being the Muhammad Ali biopic The Greatest, which was started by Tom Grise, I believe is how you say it, G-R-I-E-S. And Avalanche Express, which was begun by Mark Robeson in 1979. And he shot some extra footage for the TV versions of Ski Troop Attack, Last Woman on Earth, Creature from the Haunted Sea and the TV version of Sergio Leone's A Fistful of Dollars. Hmm. That's pretty nuts. Yeah. Uh, among the movies on which Hellman served as editor were Corman's The Wild Angels, Bob Rafelson's Head, Sam Peckinpah's The Killer Elite, and Jonathan Demme's Fighting Mad. He was also oh, the shit. executive okay. producer on Reservoir Dogs, which I did not know. So there you go, mm. QT meeting up with his one of his faves. And then as of 2011, Hellman still teaches film directing at Cal Arts, which I also didn't know. Uh, My Mercedes valuable player for this uh, is Harry Dean Stanton because he is actually good in everything that he's ever been in, even if it is Ride in the Whirlwind. And I do not recommend this movie. I actually did not enjoy watching it pretty much at all, but I think that is a matter of taste and I think that that is just what's going on with it. But I do not recommend this movie. Mason, go for it.
1: My Mercedes valuable player, I think this is as good a time as any to give it, would be to just the idea... <coughs> well, pardon me. Of oh. <laughs> <God> damn, <laughs>
0: Dude, you're so fucking crazy sometimes. Damn, okay. Go,
1: now, just... Sorry, just to take a sip of water real quick. Um, my Mercedes valuable player goes to character actors, just the concept of character actors. Love a character actor. There's tons of them in this movie. Uh, if you like character actors like Carradine Stanton... Cameron Mitchell, or even if you like Jack Nicholson, can't go wrong with Jack Nicholson. Uh, that's it. I am going to, and you don't know I'm going to do this. No, you didn't know I was going to do this, but I have a new recommendation category I want to preview for how I feel. Fuck!
2: About
1: it. <laughs> okay. So, I like this movie a lot, as you know, but I don't want to give it a full recommend just because I know that it's not everybody's taste. So I am going to give this a strong recommend to kind of nudge people that liked it in the direction and people that are curious in the direction of this movie. I really think that it's pretty fucking cool and worth your time if you haven't seen it. Again, I think based off of our discussion here, you're going to know if it's going to be in your particular like kind of taste palette or not. So if it doesn't sound like it's going to appeal to you, don't watch it. I don't think you're going to uh, particularly... As much as I like this movie, if you're not interested in watching it right now, don't fucking watch it. But... If you are interested in watching it and you're like, maybe should I give this a shot? I say absolutely. I give this a strong recommend. Not a full recommend, not a regular recommend. Somewhere in the middle there. And uh, yeah, that's how I feel. That is just another piece of evidence to show
0: that our rating system on this show is absolutely off the wall and means absolutely nothing. Yeah, dude. I love it. it We'll give it a conditional recommend. What does that mean? Who knows? We'll give it a light recommend. What does that mean? Who knows? Give it a full recommend. How's that different than a recommend? Who fucking knows? Does it matter? No. Who cares? Dustin Titcomb, apparently. He doesn't like when we give things a conditional recommend, but that guy can eat my ass as far as I'm concerned.
1: Uh, I agree. Yeah, I agree.
0: Uh, Mason, we're going to end the show. <laughs> oh, we do have to the end ol- the show. <laughs> <laughs> doing the only part of this show that I still like, and that is called plugs. So let's get into some plugs, Mason. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Noah Marger on Twitter and at Noah.Marger on Instagram. That's dot spelled D O T. Letterboxd, Moa Narger. You can find all those on the link tree in the show description. You can listen to my other podcast, my favorite podcast, be podcast about people's favorite things. This week, we'll be talking to the co-creator of Everything Now, the live stream alternative improvised comedy show on Twitch, Alex Allsup. And if you like BuzzFeed, you've probably seen his face around on BuzzFeed videos as well. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Glamis Sand Dunes in I- Imperial County, California. It's in California. Mm. Kind of bordering Mexico and Arizona, but, like, mostly in California, I believe. So that's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, And you can listen to that show and follow us on Twitter and Instagram as well for that show. And you can go watch your local government stuff uh, on Instagram and YouTube, YLG.world. That's dot with a period, YLG.world. And on YouTube, your local government comedy on YouTube. My other recommendo, I actually got a podcast recommendo for the folks out there and for you, Mason. Are you ready? Yeah. I discovered this podcast this week. I don't know how. Actually, that's not true. I do know how. I just realized I do remember how I discovered this. On Instagram, believe it or not, social media is actually good for something nowadays. Uh, it seems today that all you see are violence in movies and podcast <laughs> recommendations on, on Instagram. On social
1: media. Mm-hmm. Let's go. On
0: social media. Uh, it's called Mall Talk with Emily Fay and Paige Weldon. Uh, I was... I was keen to it because they have Caleb Heron on talking about the short the store buckle but they bring on comedians and other folks and they just talk about the mall and they talk about specific stores at the mall and they're cool. very like sweet and very good-natured and very funny and I was I've been digging this podcast so I think it's on all the major networks or all the like major podcast platforms so not that they need my recommendation but check out Mall Talk with Emily Faye and Paige Weldon I've listened to a couple episodes been doing it for a while that's it Mason, take us out.
1: So you can find me on Instagram at hotdogdebicki. You can also find my other podcast, the Barna Podcast about The Shield, wherever you find your podcasts. We just recorded the penultimate episode of that show, and that should be dropping soon. Um, And uh, yeah, so we are finishing up that podcast. Um, Other than that, uh, I would like to just give a quick plug um, to a movie that I rewatched recently, And uh, remembered how much I love. And that movie... uh, This is a movie that I think anybody would watch and enjoy. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Uh, Damn. Big time recommendo for that one. If you just need something to put on, it's on Hulu Plus. Uh, That movie is fucking Rip City. Um, And it's fun to just revisit um, favorites of yours. Movies you used to get all the time on VHS from the library. And realize that they are in fact good as hell. Um, Other than that... I think that I have plugged all of my particular pluggables. So I will end by saying, as we do always, Black Lives Matter, Black Trans Lives Matter, abolish and defund the police, save the United States Post Office, tell someone you love them, fuck Joe Biden, fuck the office of the president, and we will see all of you folks next time for a very special episode. Very special episode Very special episode. All right, we'll see you all then. Bye-bye.
2: What he feels Keeps a letter In the pocket of his coat But he never Breaks a seal Set up in a Barroom corner Playing for Tips and beer People carrying on and drinking, and you got a strain to hear. I seen him play on some old cheap guitar, but he could play on pots and pans. It never. So, so pure and true It's flowing right out of his hands And he can sing sweet as a choir girl And he can sing a house on fire I seen him calling up the angels And use a breeze for a telephone wire But if you ask him how he sings this blues so well He says, I got a soul that I won't sell I got a soul that I won't sell I got a soul that I won't sell And I don't read postcards from him from down in Texas playing out since he's 15 and you can hear a little Chicago and a lot of New Orleans and he can't take you on a freight train he can't take you down the alley he can't take you to the church and he can walk you through the valley and if you ask him how he sings this blues so well he says i got a soul that i won't sell i got a soul that i won't sell i got a soul that i won't sell and i don't read postcards from hell I got a soul that I won't sell. 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 It's how I sing my blues song well, and I don't read postcards from hell.